Hey everyone, it's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of Imperfect, where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, Armando Cruz and I go deeper into conversations about marriage, what it means to be strong in your relationship, having a wife as both your life partner and your business partner, having that lost purpose, that kind of midlife crisis, recovering from that, his business, and then as well as his book, The Legacy Code, where we talk about a lot about men's legacy, what that means. And then you're gonna find out how much this man likes to run at the end of the episode, which to me is crazy. So stick around to the end. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I, I loved recording it. And uh, yeah, let's get into the episode now. Armando, I'm so excited for you to be here um, and be on the Imperfect Podcast. You know, when we first connected and you kind of shared a little bit of your story, it made me really want to reach out to you and, and have this conversation in a, in a recorded manner. So, you know, the first question I ask my guests is, if you were to have anyone over for dinner, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you cook for them? All right. So I know that you were going to ask this question and I really didn't know. I had some things that I was juggling around. So I asked the kids... And they couldn't conceive of anything other, like, I want to have the family over. That's who they wanted over. They wanted to have the family over. And then they brought up my, they didn't get to meet some of their grandparents. They're like, oh, how about them? If they're dead, what if they were alive and they came over, right? So I thought that was really telling on where the kids put the emphasis and the importance. I was thinking about, there were three people that kind of popped into mind. One was Jesus. The other one was Nelson Mandela, and the other one was Ben Franklin. I don't know if I can choose between one of those, but those were the three. If I would cook anything, it would be, I don't know. I think I'd cook something different for each one. So I'd probably say whatever I was inspired to cook. I am not a big recipe person. I am. Uh, I view cooking like art. If I'm inspired, it's going to be magic in there. Yeah. Now, I'm the same way. I don't really like recipe cooking either. I only need the recipe for how long should this be in the oven for, but like all the ingredients that go into it, I'm, I like to kind of just make a concoction of everything. But uh, in terms of, you know, Jesus, Nelson Mandela, and Benjamin Franklin, you know, what would you talk about and why with each of those individuals? Um, with Jesus, I mean, just, I mean, regardless of whether you think or not, I mean, the fact, whether you believe in him or not, the fact that this character, this person has created such an impact in the world. I don't know how there's, I don't know how many billion of Christians in this world. I mean, a Christian is somebody who follows Christ. So just that, the impact that that, that he had is fascinating to me because I'm, I'm a Catholic and to me, you know, doesn't get any better than that. So to be able to have a conversation about different things like that, that you're, that don't seem fair, that don't seem like, like, what am I missing? And I think that, that, that's the kind of conversation I probably have with him, with Nelson Mandela, just being able to hear it from him and have a conversation about forgiveness and being able to, how he reframed being in prison and then be able to come out, be set up as a leader and then be able to forgive all those people who did those atrocities to him and to all his people. I think there's so much to be learned there. And then Ben Franklin, I mean, one of the greatest innovators in, in our time. I think it would just be fascinating just to pick his brain about like the process of thinking when you're innovating, when you're writing, when you're inventing, like how do you think about thinking and what are those habits that keep you sharp to, to keep doing and innovating in that and pushing in that, in that realm? Yeah. I think those are, those are amazing things. Nelson Mandela would hundred percent be probably in my top 10 of people I'd want to meet. I've read his book, Long Walk to Freedom. I've been to South Africa, I've been to the Apartheid Museum, and uh, just knowing his impact on people and society and racial inequality in, in that country and the impact on a global scale has been fantastic. But why don't you kind of give a bit more about who you are as an individual to what you do on your day-to-day -day basis? I like to say I am a connoisseur of experiences. I believe experiences are the things that enrich our life and experiences specifically with people where you can develop relationships and, and fellowship with others is something that I'm genuinely after, which is one of the reasons why I enjoy conversations like this, because there's a deeper connection than just high and by or a quick message here and there. 
what I do, my wife and I have a fitness and physical therapy studio in Miami for the past 13 years. And we, we focused on is helping men and women who have chronic pain eliminate it, better understand it, and to be able to, to rise above it and thrive and do the things that they want to do and love to do. So we've been doing that for the past 13 years. And then also, I wrote a book based off the work that I was doing with, with married men that were entrepreneurs that had a family-centric view as opposed to a profit-centric view of entrepreneurship where, you know, if I have to sacrifice profits, then they would rather sacrifice some profits and be with the family than sacrifice the family and have those extra thousands, maybe in some case, millions of dollars, right? Because that's why they're doing it in the first place. And so over the past six years, I've been working with married men entrepreneurs, helping them show up more powerfully in their marriage and their health and their business and their relationships to create a purposeful legacy they can be proud of. And wh- why was kind of like that angle of family focus, you know, so important to you, the family focus entrepreneurs? Because right now you see a lot of like young people doing a hustle and bustle kind of mentality into entrepreneurship, dead in the water, like no social life. Why was the family focused entrepreneur such an important component of uh, your process and your search for men? For that, I guess we have to rewind way back because I was very fortunate I'm still very fortunate. Both of my parents are alive. They're still married. But growing up, my father was my best friend. And I share that like it wasn't he was my best friend because I was like some weird kid that nobody wanted to hang out with. It was just he was the one that I looked up to. And we just spent a lot of time. And one of the things that I really learned from him, or let me rephrase that, he had his own company. My mom works for somebody. So one of the things that I started seeing early on was, Both my parents valued family a lot. My mom didn't have the freedom to do the things that she wanted because she had two weeks an entire year that those were her vacation times. And then after that, like she didn't have any more days. So she was always saving up so that we can go on a vacation for these for this week or two weeks. My father, on the other hand, he was able to go to the to the games. He was able to be involved in the day to day a lot more because he had a lot more freedom. And I was like, man, first of all, I love hanging out with my dad. When I'm a dad, I want to be able to do that too. And so the entrepreneurial autonomy was that seed was planted early on. And then also the life that I had where I got to spend time with dad and he taught me so much with his actions as well as his words. Like he wasn't just telling me to to get up early and train or, you know, make sure you do your work before all this stuff. He was like, no, look, you want to train? You want to do exercise? Awesome. Do it while everyone else is asleep. Don't let it interfere with the family. You want to work for something, work for it and, you know, work hard. And I saw him doing that every single day. And I was like, okay, I, let me, I'll take note of that. But, you know, throughout my life, I ebbed and flowed in and out of that because it's hard to do the work. It's hard to be consistent. And as I grow older, I realize that hustling is important. But for for me and the men that I coach, family takes the number one spot. Okay, great. Family is important. And I will tell you that just because family is number one doesn't mean that you always succeed. There are some times that you do have to make some sacrifices. You actually have to do certain things because if not, you're not going to be able to pay the bills, right? So it's not that everything is perfect and you know, you, you always get to spend time and you never at work. That's not what I'm saying. But when you can make that decision, really make an honest decision. Because a lot of times we, we put these decisions on ourselves of saying, I have to do this for the business. Well, do you really have to? What's going to happen if you don't? Well, if you don't, nothing's really going to happen. Maybe you don't make as much money at that moment. Or maybe you don't progress as fast as you want. But what is the cost of doing it? 
Yeah. And, and I guess my question is, does everyone you coach kind of do their business with their wife or is that kind of just a unique perspective to you? Yeah, no, no, no. This is when, when I say family, it's not that they're in business with their family. It's just that family is the center point of what they value most. Okay. So you're in a unique position where you actually work with your your wife in your business. Exactly. So have there ever been any like roadblocks in that? Like, you know, I have a future goal of really being like a, a power couple with my with my girlfriend or, you know, with my wife. I really want to be able to build a business with them or build a life with them that goes beyond what we could do as individuals. That's one of my life goals. What are kind of the some of the the, the barriers that come with that in terms of working with someone who's both your partner and your business, like a partner in life and your business partner? It's a great question because it's probably one of the more difficult things because when do you shut one off and turn one on? When you're talking about the business or when you're talking about personal, how do you not intermingle them? And it is a little bit different because sometimes you can say something to a business partner and you can be frank and it's okay because he's going home, you're going home, and that's it. You do that with your with your spouse. You go home. Uh, it may not be so bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So in order for that to work well, you need to set agreements beforehand. What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? When is it acceptable to have these conversations? When is it not? I think one of the biggest shifts in our business and also our relationship was when we started instituting what, what's called the level 10 meeting from the book Traction. I don't know if you ever read the book. No. Great, great, great book. And that level 10 meeting really, really made a big shift for us because it allowed us to hyper-focus for 90 minutes every week on our business, the big rocks, the 90-day the goals, if you want to call them, and then the action steps for the week for us to be executing. By doing that, it created a space for us to hyper-focus on the business, create a game plan so that we each knew what we were responsible for. And then if we weren't doing it, then the other person's job is to be able to call them out in a loving way, like saying, hey, what's the progress on this? This is what you agreed that you would be doing it. Do we need to reassess this because of other unknowns? But now communication is there. And at the end of the day, just like a successful marriage, a successful partnership in business, depends highly on communication. So by creating that that level 10 meeting, it gives us a space to talk about business. And then sometimes what will happen is everyday life, home life wants to creep in in there. It's like, no, wait, wait, wait. We're going to talk about it, but we'll talk about it after the meeting. Even though it intertwines, no, no, we'll talk about it after the meeting. Let's get through the meeting. Once that's done, we'll talk about the home stuff. And so now it's created clear lines of when we're talking about business stuff and then when we can talk about the home stuff. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really beautiful advice because, you know, it's definitely something that I, I've always found fascinating by people that work together and are married. I'm like, that must take so much just awareness of what moment you're in, if you're in a business moment or if you're in a family moment or another moment and when they intercede. But I, I really want to know, you know, in regards to your your process, you know, you talk about how from a young age you were, you were like interested in, in being family focused and that's always been your kind of desire and drive to have a family well-balanced lifestyle. Were there any ever like dark times or crises, crises, I guess is the correct word, in your development or in your entrepreneurial phase that kind of shook you to your core? Like, was there any other moment that you can identify like that? Yes, <laughs> there were actually a few, but I would say the one that created the biggest shift in my life was maybe seven years ago. And I, I want you to think about this and anyone listening to this, I want you to think about if you've ever gotten to a point in your life where you're like, is that all there is? You've worked hard for something to create something. And then it, it almost feels like a let, like you feel like you were going to feel something different. And all you can think of, is that all there is? And I got to that part maybe seven years ago in my business I thought I would feel a certain way. I thought I would feel more fulfilled. And from the outside, everything looked good. Business was going great. I'm helping people. My wife and I are doing fine. We have wonderful kids that are healthy. My wife is pregnant with a third. And I didn't know how to deal with that feeling because who was I going to tell that to? Like you have this life that a lot of people would love, but you're not feeling fulfilled. Oh, sorry. 
boo-hoo for you, right? I felt trapped. I felt trapped by the very thing I created. And I don't know, again, if you're listening to this and you've ever sought something else, created something, and now it feels like that thing you created has become the prison. You've created your own prison and you can't see yourself out of it. That's where I was. And it sent me down a dark spiral. I fall into a deep depression where I almost bankrupted the business. I would just turn clients away. I was coming home in the middle of the day and sleeping four to six hours. I just had no desire to do anything. And I, I felt lost. Who am I at this point? Because for such a long time, I had a clear vision of what I wanted to create and who I was. And at that moment, I felt like none of that mattered. And who was I at this point? If all this time I've been working on this and now I don't know, what, what's my next step now? So I remember that I had a coach of mine that reached out and he invited me to a retreat out in Thailand, but there was two problems with it. Number one, like I mentioned, I almost bankrupted the business, so I didn't have the money. And number two, the retreat finished a week before the due date of my wife, of, of the baby. And again, you don't have to be a geography master, but Miami, Florida is in the exact opposite side of the world of Thailand. <laughs> so there's about a 12 hour difference. It takes about 24 hours to go door to door. And I remember going to my wife and telling her about this, this retreat. What happened next is probably what I described one of the greatest acts of love and courage that I've experienced. And it was, I remember her telling me, do you think this can help? Because I don't know what else to do. I, I can't help you anymore. And I said, yeah, I think I could. And I remember she stopped for a second and she looked at me and she said, then you need to do this. Not for you, but for us. She goes, I would rather you miss the day that our son is born than you miss the rest of our life because you're not the man, the husband, or the father I know you to be. And that to me was like, oof, that was like a punch in the gut. We finally decided that, yes, we figured out the money situation and everything. I went out to Thailand. One of the, the definitions of retreat is to step away from the day-to-day -day life. And that stepping away and putting yourself in a completely different situation, different perspective, different environment allows you a different perspective on your life. It's just like stepping out of a car. Like it's a very different feeling being inside of a car. And when you step out outside of the car, you can see the car from the outside. So you have a brand new perspective. If you looked at a cylinder from the side, it looks like a rectangle. If you look at it from the top, it looks like a circle. Only when you step and move around it is when you can see, wait, this is neither a circle nor a rectangle. This is a cylinder, right? And so that's, that's, that's the power of perspective that I was able to get. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm interested in terms of your, before you go on further, like in terms of, you know, it, what you've talked about is you have a very strong willed wife, so it seems. And I just want to kind of ask you before you go further into your story is how important do you think it is to have a strong determined woman in your life? Because I think sometimes young men can be very intimidated by that, but kind of what's been your experience with having that kind of experience where she has been your rock or told you to do things that you know, typically maybe a, a wife wouldn't be expected to say, what is, what is the importance of having that strong woman in your life? I think you got to be careful with that because there's different women, different men, and depending on your personalities and your values will determine who's going to be a better match. Number one, first and foremost, like when I was looking for a wife, I had a clear set of values, a clear set of principles that I was looking for. Like I genuinely had like, no, no, this needs to be, this is a person that has strong principles, is not afraid to speak, is athletic, cares about health, wants to make an impact in people's lives. Like there was very clear things, wants to have a family, is uh, strong in their faith. Things that actually very much correlated to who my mom is, right? Essentially, there were a lot of the same, same characteristics that I saw in my mom, I see in my wife. and. So I share that for context because sometimes it's easier to say, oh, no, you know, hey, you need to marry a strong woman. Yeah, but if you're a really strong, hard-headed guy and you have a strong, hard-headed woman, that's 
could be a recipe for disaster, right? There has to be a give and take. There has to be a way that you guys can communicate properly. And that comes within the values and the expectations of each other and the growth you're willing to do. I would say if you are searching for a wife, find somebody who's looking to grow old with you. And what I mean by that is if she expects to see the same man every day, there's a problem. The same way, are you expecting to see the same woman every day? Because if you cannot grow together, you're going to drift apart. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I actually just had a conversation with someone I know about that this morning in the sense of I want to be able to be in a relationship with someone where we push each other every day to be better. But my dad has always, you know, at the end, I always ask the question, what is one thing your dad told you that stays with you? The one thing my dad has kind of always said is, I expect people in my life to change. And it's not like from a perspective of, you know, I want them to change according to what I want. Like it's more for this is what growth is. And I want people to change. And I expect people to change because if you're not changing, you're not learning, you're not growing. So I do, I kind of approach it the same way in the sense of, you know, I think a lot of the traits that I look for in my future wife are some of the ones that my mom has as well in terms of being like strong-willed, very driven, you know, goes after what she wants. Like those are the things that I typically look for in a, in a girl or in a woman. And so I think I, I can relate exactly to what you're saying. And and I think what you said was very smart. You know, you grow old together, very wise. So I think that's good advice for all the young men is to know what you're looking for, one, because I think if you know what you're looking for, it's a lot easier. You're not spending, you're not wasting your time finding something that doesn't work. It's like, if you know what job you want, you're not going to go apply for, you know, being a plumber. If you're, what you're doing is wants to do is digital marketing. You have to hone in on what you want. And then that's when you can find it better. Yeah. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off of your, your story about traveling, but uh, you can kind of go to where you were in that. So I'm in Thailand and I'm gaining the perspective that the the business that I thought was imprisoning me was really, I had nothing to do with the business. It had to do with me and the way I was looking at things and the way I was, my expectations of what I was supposed to be feeling. And then once I gained clarity on that, I started realizing, wait, here's an avenue that I feel very much called to, to amplify the work that I'm already doing. And that was the work with married men. And so- I came back from Thailand. Three days later, the baby's born, so I didn't miss the, the birth of my child, so woohoo, right? But then after that, I started reaching out to my network and started working with these, with these men for about two or three years. And then I realized, look, coaching is a luxury. And I say that because you don't need coaching to survive. Man has survived without coaching. Now, if you wanna thrive, coaching can help you thrive quicker. It can help leverage other people's perspective. It can help leverage speed where if you try to do it on your own, you can probably figure it out at some point, but you're probably going to have more bumps and bruises along the way. And there's some value to bumps and bruises, but if you're looking to thrive and you're looking for speed, coaching can really help. And so that's the work I started doing with these men. And I said, these principles, the world needs to know. And I wrote the book in 2018. It's called The Legacy Code, A Modern Man's Guide to Escape Obscurity and Live a Life Unleashed. And I launched it the week before Christmas. Three days after the launch, it became a bestseller. So this was a pre-launch, sorry. And the book didn't come out until January 15th of 2019. Beautiful. Man, that's amazing. I'm definitely going to include the link to that book. You can get it on Barnes & Noble and Amazon or or where can... In a, just in Amazon, I think. Amazon? Okay. I think it's just in Amazon. I'll, I'll include the link uh, in the description of this this episode for sure so everyone can check that out. I'm going to buy it myself, probably do a review on it on the podcast. I started doing, doing some book reviews. But I, I wanted to go back to when you said there was a, a deep depression or a, a moment of feeling lost. And I, I really want to know kind of... You know, we've talked about how you sought help, but I really wanted to kind of go into how you sought help. I know you talked about going to Thailand, but it was a lot about, you know, getting perspective from, you know, people that you trusted and kind of going into that. One thing that is very apparent is that depression, wait, when I say depression, it wasn't a clinical depression. It was a less than state that I normally operate. To the point where, like I said, I was sleeping 
four to six hours in the middle of the day. I was pushing everyone away. So the behaviors look the same, but maybe the clinical depression, there are more underlying things in the clinical depression. I want to make that caveat because I don't want to make it, I don't want to say this flippantly. Very often, when someone is depressed, it's living in the past, anxiety is living in the future. What you find in both of those is that you're not present. And so all my expectations were kind of shattered of, wait, I should be here at this point in my life. My business should be like this. I should be feeling this. And so you have all these shoulds, and now it starts bringing down your level of energy, the way you start feeling about yourself, your posture, everything starts mimicking that. And when you are lost, that you don't have clarity, you cannot move forward. If you walk into a dark room, how confident are you going to be strutting across the room? Not very confident because you don't know what's there. You're going to hit a, a wall. Or you're going to hit furniture. Who knows what's there, right? All of a sudden, that same room that you had so much hesitation and so little confidence in, if we turn on the lights, feels like a completely different experience. And I think that's really the key. When you're feeling that your procrastination, that you're hesitating, you feel like you can't move forward, ask perhaps, what am I unclear about? Or how can I get more clear about this situation? I think that's really good because one thing that I I like to do is if my head gets noisy, I like to write all my ideas down. Like I'll pull out my laptop or a book and I'll literally just write everything in my head in my head. And typically this happens right before I, I go to bed. And it doesn't happen that often that I get overwhelmed to the point where it's like I can't sleep. But the, if there is a night where I can't sleep, I just pull out my laptop, open a notebook, and I don't put any periods. I just write everything that's in my head until I can't write anymore. And then it just feels so good to get it out on paper or on digital or on anything. And it's kind of like having a ball of yarn that's all like scrambled up and then you just write it out. And then all of a sudden it's, it's kind of just a straight line and it's like OCD for your, your head, I guess. I don't want to use the term OCD incorrectly, but you just kind of get rid of the ball of yarn and, and like the hairball and, and you just clear it out, organize it. And you realize it's really not that big of a deal or it kind of provides that light in that room that was guided by darkness. So I, I really think I agree with that premise of you have to get rid of the darkness or you have to find a way to, to find light. You have to, you have to live in the moment in the present. And I think that's really good. And now kind of going into the book, you know, you talk about men and legacy, kind of what do you mean by that? And what was your process uh, going into this book? What did you what did you want to find out for yourself? And then what did you want to find out for other people? The book itself was sharing the process that I was taking my coaching clients through. So uh, the, the five steps that I was taking them through to gain a lot more clarity to purposely and powerfully create a legacy. Because one thing for certain, you're going to have a legacy. Whether you don't do anything or you do, how long it lasts, who it impacts, you're going to get to determine that, how deep you want that to go by your actions. One of the things that I would say is the life that you live is the legacy that you leave. So if that's the case, then how you operate in this world directly affects that legacy. And what was interesting for the book, what, what was I trying to get from it? you asked, I actually interviewed 153 guys just to understand their perspective of legacy. What I realized was, well, I did that for two reasons. Number one, I wanted their perspective. And number two, I didn't want to write in a bubble just what was in my head. I wanted to see, okay, wait, is what's in my head circulating through other men's minds? And what I found was fathers, of all the guys that I interviewed, fathers thought about legacy most. Second group that thought about legacy were people who, who believed in something greater than themselves, in God and you know something greater than themselves. Because now the world didn't revolve around them. It was, wait, wait, there's something greater. Let me work towards something greater kind of thing. The guys that thought least, based off my interviews, were the younger guys for obvious reasons. Number one, 
when you're younger, I'm talking about like college age guys, you feel invincible. Like at the end of the day, you feel invincible. Time is rarely a thing. If you talk to an older person, you talk to your grandfather, they look at time very different than the way you do if you're a college student. Why? Because you feel like time is almost infinite and you have this infinite like possibilities. Whereas somebody old feels like, hey, my time is coming to an end. And so who values time more? The person who's seeing the finiteness of time, which increases the value, right? A supply and demand, right? The supply is running low. So all of a sudden the, the value goes up. And so when I, when I went into this, legacy was an important part because I've been thinking of legacy ever since I was a kid with my father. It's like, okay, wait, I want to give my kids what my father gave me. I was already thinking about that. Like, why? And then why does this matter? And then what else matters? Helping people, you know, somebody like uh, Mother Teresa, who, such a humble lady, four foot nothing, and the impact that she made in the lives of people that were, were dying and sick just with her kindness and her presence is known by, by people all around the world. It's mind blowing the power of compassion and kindness. But that's a legacy that is very attainable by most people. It's not like everyone has to be Steve Jobs. It's not like everyone has to be Bill Gates or Elon Musk, or you have to be an inventor. There's certain things that we all have access to, kindness, compassion, a smile. Those things can actually generate a shift in the people all around you, which creates a massive ripple. Don't think that you have to be a genius in order to have like a big legacy. And I make the distinction between the two legacies. There's two types of legacy, personal legacy and impact legacy. I was going to say, like, did you ask these people that you interviewed, what's their definition of legacy beforehand? Because I, I would feel like if it's, it's, if it's me, my legacy right now is trying to make an impact more like self-focused in regards to, you know, I want to have a huge podcast. I want to do this. I want to do this for me, do this for me. But if you become a father, it's, I want to do this for my kids. I want to do this for the next generation. Like what was kind of your perspective on what people determined to be legacy in their own minds? At the end of the day, like at its core, most people saw legacy as what am I leaving behind? And, and it is, it's a gift. I think one of my favorite ones was legacy is a gift you leave for others to discover once you're gone, right? Like that was one of my favorite ones. But the distinction that I made is there's personal legacy and there's impact legacy. Personal legacy is how you affect the people closest to you. In other words, your family, your close circle of friends, if you have kids, your kids, like, are you, are you forgetting them or are you investing time? Are you growing in experiences with them? Are you supporting and loving them in a way that creates their world and their ripple to expand because you were part of their life? And then you have the impact legacy, which is what a lot of times people think about is something like Steve Jobs, where, you know, everybody has an iPhone or an Apple product or like whether you do or you don't, like you've heard the name and you've been affected by the products in some way, shape or form. You know, the, the innovations of somebody like Elon Musk, where the electric car, the, the SpaceX, the whatever else, like the guys on another level. But even Steve Jobs said, you know, if he had to do it again, he realized that the people closest to him, the people that got him to where he was, were the people that he treated the worst. He was a jerk to the people closest to him. And they were the ones that were holding him up. They were the ones that were helping to create that legacy, create those products, create that vision that he had. And one of the big things that because of the perspective of being family centric, if you seek the impact legacy and forget about the personal legacy, in my opinion, you've failed because the people that matter most in your life, you've let down. I would say start with the center and then go out from there. 
because the people that matter most need to know that you're there with them, need to grow with you, not leave them behind. Yeah. I guess what's kind of your, you know, sentiment of who that personal is for you? Because if you, if you think about some individuals or some entrepreneurs, maybe they're not supported by their family, maybe they're supported by their friends. So to you, kind of what is the personal? Is it different for everyone? Do you believe it's like family for everyone? Kind of what do you think of, of that perspective of, of family in terms of blood or family in terms of chosen family? It's a great question. Family dynamics are so different, right? I'm not going to pretend to say, oh, you know, hey, all families are amazing and there's some really toxic and vicious families, unfortunately. And some people have to live through that. And it's amazing their story of how they overcome it. But when I say a personal legacy, I'm talking about starting on your core five. Like who are those five people that impact your life the most, that matter most in your life? Make sure those people are taken care of. And then what's the next concentric circle? Well, maybe it is family, right? Because even within family, there's a core, right? There's a very big difference to like the way I feel about my kids. And then like my cousins, I love my cousins, but my kids are higher up in the hierarchy there. My wife is higher up in the hierarchy, right? So there's a concentric circle that keeps growing out. Family, close friends, they can be intermingled. Like close friends could be in that core group because you may have some friends that are more family than your family and then continue to go from there, expanding your reach. Yeah. And so do you think people that focus more on impact kind of have lost their way? Do you think there is something that they they lack in terms of wisdom? Kind of how would you navigate people that are focused, like in ter- if there's anyone listening to this podcast now that wants to focus more on impact legacy rather than personal legacy, what would you kind of say to them? How would you kind of steer them or, or try to make them focus more on personal legacy? I think the story I'd share is a a few weeks back, I called my father and I was like, my father was a big runner, but he's been having issues with his hips. So he can't run. So I called him. I said, Hey, how about we go for a hike? And he was like, Oh, you know, I got all this stuff out. I'm working. And he's like, and I was like, okay, you let me know. And then he called me like two minutes later. He goes, you know what? Forget it. I'm putting it all away. Let's go. So he showed up at my house and what was supposed to be like a 30 minute hike, we, we ended up doing two and a half hours just hiking. As we near the end of our life, it's funny. I just turned 40 years old. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I just turned 40 years old and people would like get all freaked out about 40. The thing is that in context, number one, you know, let's just say at this point, there's a lot of people living to 80. So at worst, I'm at halfway. I'm the halfway point, which Great. And personally, I've always said I was going to live to 120. So in my mind, (laughs) I'm only one third of the way. Yeah. I'm just getting started. Right. But as I get to 40 and I have conversations with guys that are starting to get younger and younger and because I keep getting older. Yeah. (laughs) And I start realizing the understanding that each stage that you're in, honor it. You know, don't be a 20 some year old and worrying about something that a 60-year-old would. You're 20 for a reason. Enjoy that stage. But again, don't be stuck to thinking that this is going to be the only way you think or this is going to be the only way. Because like you said, there's a lot of young guys out there proclaiming this hustle and grind. And you know what? When you're in your 20s, you don't have any responsibilities. You know, uh, let me phrase it. You don't have any dependence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's the bigger shift right there. You obviously have some responsibilities, especially if you're starting a business and you have responsibilities. What I mean is dependence, especially like family where you're now married. Like, yeah, go for it. Hustle and grind. But don't think that that it needs to stay that way. And I have no problem with working hard, but working hard for the things that matter most is the distinction, not just working hard so that you can get an extra dollar. Create the relationships. As you get older, what you'll find is that you value things less and you value people more because those moments, I can look back and all the adventures that I went on with my father are the things that that I value. The the adventures that that I've been going on with my kids are things that I value. The adventures that I've been on with my wife, the experiences that we've had are more enriching than any car, 
than any business, than any anything. Even with my clients, the experiences of them feeling held hostage in their own bodies by their body because of pain and to be able to facilitate them being free from it and eliminating their pain is a massive experience that we both take with us. So the experiences are what really bring the richness to life. And that's why I said, I want to be careful with just saying a blanket statement, oh, that's wrong. I'm like, well, depending on the stage of your life, yeah, focus on that. You want to hustle and grind? Go for it. But when you have a wife and kids and you're hustling and grinding and you're neglecting them, that's where I say there, there's an issue. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with the idea of spending money or you know all that on experiences. One thing that I am a huge proponent of, and even my generation seems to be a huge proponent of, is traveling while we're young. And I think we're, we're a generation that spends a lot more on traveling, trying to get those experiences, trying to see the world. A lot less money is spent on materialistic things. Although I don't, I'm not sure how true that is because I see a lot of friends that buy materialistic things. But like even on my bookshelf behind me, it's all things that I have experiences or direct attachments to. It's Coke bottles that I've collected from around the world. It's my Mount Fuji stick that when I, I used to climb Mount Fuji when I was in Japan, and I had it. I then got it signed by all the students I was on exchange with. And there's disposable cameras. There's you know uh, sake bottles and and bottles from when I won Employee of the Month at work. Like it's all things that matter to me on an experience level. And I was just telling someone today that I'd rather throw my bed frame out or you know some of my clothes that I've spent money on than this stuff that maybe only cost me $2 per thing per per item because I there's an experience tied to them. There's a moment, there's a memory with people that are tied to them. And I would never, ever want to leave those behind. You know, in my LinkedIn profile, it, it says Coke bottle collector, podcast host, relationship builder. Like those are the three things that I find like most important to me, which is exactly what you said in the sense of, you know, people are at the core of why I do things. And my friends always say I'm a bad listener and I'm a pretty bad listener in a lot of ways. Like I like to talk. I'm not not really great at listening. I do my best, but I can get so caught up in what people say. But if I'm if there's something that they said that's tied to an experience, then I am much more likely to recall that memory, that person. And I can remember a lot of people's names because of that. I'm always like, whenever I try to remember someone's name, I'm like, where did I meet this person? What's the thing I can attach that to in order to make sure that I remember your name or, or you as a person? So I 100% agree. And what you kind of talked about, what it seemed like you were talking about is in all these stages... There's the evolution of self and and it's that idea that you said earlier is people change and people are going to change in your relationship. And so, you know, the people in your life that are now, you know, even probably that you, that you coach through life, you probably see them in a different place now than they originally were. And so you have to handle those clients different or those people different. It's like, that's something that you've had experiences with as well. Yeah. First of all, watching that evolution is, is always very rewarding and, and exciting to see because you're seeing it unfold. I, ha I had a client of mine that she shared something a few, uh, she shared it a year and a half ago. And I've been working with her for seven years. This is somebody who came to me that was not bedridden, but a lot of times bedridden because of severe back pain. She's a, an attorney, but she, she is so, so committed to doing whatever it is that she does. And when I met her, she was single. I kept working with her as she met her future husband and they got married. The fact that she was able to get on a plane and go to their honeymoon, which was in Hawaii, was such a rewarding thing that she was like, like, I feel so free to be able to do this with no pain. And then about a year and a half ago, she was pregnant with her second child. And she goes, you know, I, I never, I never said this to you before, but I wanted to say thank you. And I was like, oh, for what? You know? And she goes, because I can play with my kids. What do you mean? She goes, she said, before I was even married, because of all the suffering that I have been doing with my back, I thought I would never be able to sit on the floor and be able to play with my kids. And I never thought about that. Like, as a parent, not be able to get down to your kid's level, uh, you're missing so much. 
Because if you can't get down at their level, you can't see the world at their level. You can't experience what they're experiencing the same way. So for her to say that, that now she's able to get down, pick up the kids and not be worried about her back was really inspiring to me. I, I, you know, I do the work that I do because I'm good at it, but because I love being able to help people in, in a massive way. But sometimes because you're in the journey, you don't even notice it until somebody brings it up. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's a beautiful thing is watching the people in your life change. And I, I feel like sometimes when you're young, you know, I talk about it quite a bit in the sense of the people I first met have changed. And, and sometimes I feel like they haven't seen me change. They haven't seen me grow. And I don't feel like I've been seen for how I've changed. And they can kind of hold this distant memory of me and it's not a bad memory. It's just a memory of who I was or who I think I was, but it's not who I am anymore. And I just, I don't know how to get rid of that perception of me still when I've shown that I've tried to change. And I'm sure it's the same thing for them. I, I hold them to when I first met them and I don't want to do that, but it's just so easy to do because that's your first memory of them. And, and so, you know, first impressions are lasting impressions, but, you know, you really have to kind of step out of yourself sometimes to see kind of like what you said with the car and the cylinder is you have to step out of yourself and see how they've changed beyond just who they were. Cause you know, you could be in a Corolla and all of a sudden it's a Lamborghini, but it might look the same on the inside, but on the outside you, you have to step out and be like, Oh, this person's actually changed a lot from something to be like now they're an, a, a supercar from that old diddly thing. So I do think what you said is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, you know, I, I definitely considering your time, I want to go into the last three questions that, uh, that I typically ask my guests. So what is one piece of advice that your father, and you talked a lot about him this episode gave you that you live by every day. You've, you've said a lot, but what's kind of that one core thing that has stuck with you throughout your entire life? Maybe less what he said and more what he did. And it's like, make sure your actions align with your words. So be a man, not of just of actions, but one that's aligned with your values and the, and the words that you, and that you're saying, don't just say it, but, but do what it is that you're saying. Beautiful. What is one piece of advice that you wish your father had given you that would have prepared you better for the life you currently have? I would say the finances, just being able to educate more about finances. I was clueless. I was clueless on finances. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of the world can probably share on that one. And then finally, the last question is, what is one piece of advice that you want to pass down to future generations, your kids, or in your terms, what is the legacy that you want to leave? They're kind of different in the sense that if I was going to share something for somebody to take with them is seek adventure. And what I mean by that is adventure is a mindset of possibility is a curiosity about what's around the next corner. If you have that, you're gonna grow. You're going to be able to learn anything that you want. And the beautiful thing about adventure is that it has two main ingredients, is the unknown and a little bit of suffering. And those are important because if you're willing to stretch yourself into the unknown, you're able to grow. If you're willing to endure a little bit of suffering, just like when you're weight training, the suffering is a little bit of a resistance. The thing that is uncomfortable is going to make your character stronger. It's going to make you stronger and it's going to allow you to grow. So seek adventure is what I would say. Perfect. And then finally, to close it off, I always want my guests to share what they've got going on in their life. You know, you kind of talked about a bit about it earlier, but, you know, just share what what's exciting in your life and uh, where people can find you. Uh, what's exciting in my life right now? I'm in the process of, uh, well, let me rephrase that. I am compiling everything to begin starting my next book in August. I will begin writing. Beautiful. So I'm just compiling some stuff on that. And then uh, I will be running my second 100-mile race this April. So I've been training hard and looking forward to placing in the top if possible because I feel ready. A 100-mile race? Yeah. I saw you, re you ran 40 miles for your birthday, right? You ran a mile for every yeah. day. Yeah. I remember watching that. Yeah. How, like, okay, you know, I know this is the end of the episode, but how do you do that, man? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I've run 40 miles in my life. I don't, I honestly can say, I don't think I have. 
first of all, I like running, but just like everything in life. And that's why, that's why I think the, one of the reasons why I enjoy running is because it's such a, it's so analogous to, to, to life, which is take one more step. When I ran my first 100 miler at mile 27, 28, at mile 28, it felt like I had knives going through my quads every step. So I still had 72 miles to go. So I had to figure out something to get to the end. And it was just, okay, one more step. Let's get to the next aid station where I can fill up, get some water, get some food. Okay, then we'll deal with the next one. And I did that all the way through the end. And when I finished the run, I had two main thoughts. Number one, I can run this faster. And number two, I can do 200 and 300 miles. And the reason I say that is because I had never experienced so much pain as I did there and for so long. And what I realized is that, first of all, my mind is strong enough. And for 200 and 300 miles, there's only so much physical work you can put in, especially if I'm not a, I'm not a professional runner. Like I have a business, I have a family, like there's a finite number of hours that I can dedicate to this. So I felt like, no, no, I'm equipped with the mental fortitude and mental strength to keep pushing on because I just did it for 72 miles. You know, how do I do it? Again, one step at a time and and slowly build up to it. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. But that's a great story to end on. Uh, so Armando, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this episode. And everyone, I hope you listen to this uh, and we really enjoy it. And remember that the life that you live is the legacy that you leave. I think those are some of the, the wisest words I've ever heard. So that's kind of what I'm going to leave you with. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been your host, Luke West, with his guest, Armando Cruz. You can find him on Instagram, which I'll leave in the description below, and on LinkedIn at Armando Cruz. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod, or connect with me on LinkedIn if you have any content ideas or if you just want to talk about the show. I'd love to hear what you have to say and what you learned, and let's build a world of intentional and purposeful conversations. Again, thank you to the editor, Matt McClelland, for all his hard work editing this podcast. Sounds beautiful since he started. All thanks to him, but I'll talk to you all soon.